Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome an accomplished investor and entrepreneur, Shashikan Chaudhary from India. Thank you. Uh, welcome to the show, Shashi. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Mr. Chaudhary is an angel investor and serial entrepreneur. He's the co-founder of Thrive. He's the former managing director of Global Logic um, India, as well as uh, on the several boards, including IIM Jammu. He's an investor and a mentor and invested in over 20 startups. And he's been recognized and felicitated several times for all the good work he's doing in and around his city and in India. So uh, Shashi, let's talk first about the, your uh, role as an angel investor and a serial entrepreneur. And for our young viewers and listeners, tell me what is the difference between an angel investor, venture capital and private equity? Uh, yeah, uh, thank you again. Uh, and uh, to the point in terms of the question, the angel investor uh, typically come, is a, normally a first investor who keeps a faith on the founder. I mean, uh, maybe that's a stage when the idea is not fully formed or maybe in the prototype. So he's, he's the first professional individual investor to say, yeah. and the first uh, kind of a round of funding you can expect. Uh, typically in India, it's anywhere between 5 lakhs to 25 lakhs. Typical, but some people can put 50 lakhs to 1 crore, but I am talking about typical okay. um, range. The venture capital will typically come little later. And these are the professional institutional bodies. Mm -hmm. And these, these venture capitalists will invest anywhere between $2 million onwards. Mm -hmm. So $2 million to $10 million to almost like $30 million. That's the space which is called as early stage venture capitalist and the late stage venture capitalist. Okay. But beyond that, if you want to scale, then the private equity comes into the picture. And the private equity would be typically $50 million to $200 million. That's a range. So basically, you divide the, the investors by the stage of the company mm -hmm. and by the ticket size, what I called as like $50 million to $200 million. Wonderful. And you are uh, an investor yourself. What are some of the key metrics you look for before you make an investment? So typically, I am an uh, individual angel investor. So... You know, Bob, the, the first thing which we look at uh, from our perspective is the team. Because at the end of the day, the team is going to make it happen. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, a brilliant idea, but an average team uh, would not make mm -hmm. success. Mm -hmm. But even, uh, you know, so-called average team, but uh, average idea, but a brilliant team would really make it happen. At the, at the end of the day, it is all about the execution. Mm -hmm. The next point we look at is market size. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the market opportunity we are talking about? And at the same time, is this market growing? Mm -hmm. uh, because it should not be the only market size because market size today could be good, mm -hmm. but it could decline. Uh, that's number two. Number three is, are they really solving a pressing need? Okay. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a between must to have and good to have. If mm -hmm. they are solving a problem which is must to have, that's that's better. Let me look at whether they have an elegant solution to the problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, many times problem is good to be solved, but the solution is not that elegant, which customer expects at that point of time. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, really speaking, we are 
trying to look at, or any angel investor or investor is trying to look at, what is his unique story, a startup's unique story in the big picture. Mm. So in the big story, what is his unique story? Fascinating. That's very, very well articulated. Thank you. So, you know, another question that is often asked is, for a startup entrepreneur, how long should a startup entrepreneur bootstrap and how long before they start to raise money? Um, so, uh, in a way, uh, you know, as we talked about the funding, mm. uh, the initial money is normally yours, then the friends and families, that's where you get your next immediate funding. The best money or the best funding is a customer funding. Mm. If you can fund your company through the customer's money, that's the best uh, option. Mm. The, the next thing is, you know, you require uh, an oxygen and a petrol, both to run the you know, you vehicle. So sometimes you, you require oxygen and when you require oxygen, you need to take that much of funding to just, you know, make those things happen. But when you really want to scale, you really require petrol. And when you require that, that you, require, you need to go to those uh, agencies. I have never seen, I mean, that's a very common statement, never seen a billionaire who had not made millions first. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, unless y- your company makes money for yourself, it's no point in going outside and taking money. Mm-hmm. So the point is, you take initial, uh, you know, fund it yourself. Second option is take money from your friends and family. The angel investors, yes, they come in at the first stages and they will help you out. But they are not really pressing you in terms of, uh, you know, the institutional investors would press you. So take that money, take the customer's money, prove your business model, and then, you know, you should go for serious level of funding. So that's the point. But you need to start building the relationships right from day one. Uh, You know, it's no point in digging the well when you require water, you need to build those relationships. So I would say start it from day one. Well said. So another question that is often raised about angel investors is how much should an angel investor get involved in the governance of a startup? Yeah, I mean, there are different types of angel, but he should never get uh, because there are those different hats. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, angel investor uh, investing is one hat. He could be advisor if asked if properly requested and if he has a capability, if he has an understanding of that domain, yes. Otherwise, he should only limit his role in terms of providing the connects and the introductions. And if he is from that particular domain or from that particular function, yes, definitely he can take up an advisor role, but that's an arrangement which has to be separately you know, formed between the CEO of the company and the angel investor. And yes, in some cases I've seen, uh, you know, uh, because many of the angel investors get into spray and pray model, uh, some some angel investors are serious. I mean, they get into high touch model. And when they get into a high touch model, they take care of the specific functional responsibility on a part-time basis, which means they get involved to the extent of three to four to anywhere seven to eight hours per week. But for that, they will take more and more equity. But typically, angel investors should not. Fascinating. And uh, at what stage do you look for an inv- for an exit of your investment? So typically, you know, as an uh, every investor looks for an exit mm-hmm. uh, because he has to keep his money rolling. Right. So the angel investors uh, typically would look for an exit at a Series B level. 
because at that time the stakes have grown the professional investors have come in and this professional institutional investors would offer an upside to the angel investors so typically it's a cycle of 4 to 6 years between the 4 to 6 years the angel investment investor should get uh, if at all i mean because of the success ratios we always talk about <laughs> because you make winners and some are average and some are losers mm-hmm. but whenever you get those winners typically it's a horizon of 4 to 6 years and typically after series a and mostly at a series b and wonderful and uh, you know based on all your investments and track record that you have there must be some that got away i'm wondering whether you'd like to tell us maybe you don't want to name companies because every oh, investor no. has something which says that you know i wish i had invested at that time they came to me at such an early stage uh many times many times and uh, you know uh, one of these companies i don't mind uh, uh, you know giving you the name the nolarity is uh, one of that company and uh, you know i i just felt that you know at that point of time i would have been uh you know little diligent uh, i've taken more interest and uh, really invested and you know uh, <laughs> it's not a good feeling when you hear every time the news of that company making strides and you had a chance to be part of it and uh, you 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 did not take it uh you curse yourself so so that's a feeling it's like you know some role is offered to you in a particular bollywood movie and that movie becomes it <laughs> you repent it i agree i agree. but you know again uh i've been wondering what is you know we've had i think in india 21 unicorns in 2021 so far and we still have another 3 months to go yeah, yeah. what is it that uh, india is doing differently now that it has got so many young, so many young companies that are becoming unicorns so uh, i think the, the one of the very interesting thing that has come up in the last 3 4 years possibly and now we are seeing the effect of that is the uh, this decade per se is a would be called as a saas decade mm-hmm. for uh, india and many times Uh, when you create those companies like the freshworks right and those kind of companies which are like the saas model based the advantage of creating that company uh, in india uh, using the large technology base but becoming a global player in terms of customers in a much early stage so that's that's where the difference is initially the difference was you know create a company uh, serve the indian market make sure that it is successful and then try to go outside but now we have started seeing that global saas players and this is just a start the global saas players have started emerging the zoos of the world and the freshworks of the world they have started emerging and these are the players uh, who would create this unicorn type of companies and on the second side this shared economy and the gig model because of the this this specific uh, uh you know the class of the people start having now got into the mainstream of using this kind of services let it talk about dunzo or you talk about all those e-commerce kind of the companies which were there right from the uh, you know the paytms of the worlds to all those companies where the 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 cost of transaction has gone down ease of the services has gone up is it has almost percolated to a common man 
almost i mean this is the, uh, earlier this was limited in terms of let's say the financial inclusion the social inclusion the education inclusion was limited to a kind of a tier or mid tier but now even if you go to uh, buttewala or the you know roadside tapri operator also and you can just go there eat and pay by paytm i mean that's where the usage has really multiplied so i think these two factors are really playing out fascinating and uh, you know since you uh, know so much about technology i would love to get your perspective on how has the pandemic um, you know driven technology very very deep in our country yeah yeah i mean uh, you know uh, uh, one of the basic i, I think we, we were at the uh, the, the perfect storm kind of condition mm-hmm. uh, i mean though the pandemic was not good but what happened during the pandemic was was it, you know the kind of the progress we as a india or as a whole world uh, in terms of the adoption of the technology or the new kind of ways of consuming the services mm-hmm. has really accelerated what would have taken 10 years we have taken 2 uh, years okay. and at the same time you know as i said the access to the technology has become cheaper now we are talking about you know 15 to 18 rupees per gb Mm. of the consumptions and average person is consuming 15 gbs to 20 gbs a month mm. now with that kind of the bandwidth cost with the that kind of the mobile handsets which have become you know easy for people to access mm-hmm. and at the same time what india did best was in terms of creating the super in, infrastructure in terms of the uh, financials mm. uh, the financial infrastructure per se what india has created is can be compared to the kind of the infrastructure roadways infrastructure that was created in 1945 50s in us mm. i mean this is a super app is nowhere in the world you can transfer money just by email or by just by knowing his phone number mm. i mean the, the 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 way this uh, infrastructure helped and at the same time what happened was this this, this pandemic Uh, really forced the people to use those and when they started using it they found it convenient i mean no nowhere you know people could imagine the 70 year or 50 60 year or 80 years old people could operate out of the phone uh, pay, uh, you know paytms of the world and phone pay of the world they would be operating on the zoom they would be the, the complete education in terms of uh, you know The, the the way it could reach the largest amount of content got created in so in this two years just imagine mm. the way you know and that is all captured that is not lost correct uh, yep i mean the, the 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 kind of the ways when the people saw oh people can work remotely not only in the remote office but remotely from their home cities mm. uh, you know the, the lot of work can be you know you can get it done you know people used to believe in earlier cases that uh, work has to be done in a particular manner and mm. particular method so sure. and that perception changed when people got to see oh i can do my transactions i can do my education i can get health advice at my place uh, you know all those things just by leveraging the technology and when people saw oh this works and you know mm. we, the the efficiency has not dropped to the extent what we believe Mm-hmm. that's a new world now which we have started seeing very interesting so uh, you know before i ask you a few questions on startups i just uh, was looking and you know you're the co-founder of of thrive uh, tell me what is thrive and what do you do there 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, in terms of the uh, Thrive, uh, that was the part which we were, customer, we were doing the validations. Uh, but now I've shifted to a new startup. <laughs> so I've started a, a new startup, which is going to launch in the month of October itself. Okay. Uh, that uh, uh, the part of the Thrive, we were doing the customer validation and we were just trying to find out how there is how the customer responds to a given way of trying to solve the problem. And we've I felt at that point of time, uh, you know, uh, the time is, you know, not maybe a, a right time to get mm -hmm. into probably a year or two, it will require to get into that space. So I thought that better I would start a new company. So now I am starting a new one, which is in the stealth mode right now. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. So let me come back to startups, you know, um, three or four questions on startups. I think we mm -hmm. have time for that. Yeah. Uh, Based on your experience, is it better for a startup founder to go solo or have a co-founder? Um, you know, uh, it's you. Uh, you need to have, if if given a choice, you need to have a team of one or two or three co-founders. Beyond that, it probably makes little noise because you know you're you're trying. It's a it's not a sequential thing. Number one. And there are too many things to be done at the same time, which is like in concrete. It is just like, imagine you are running a race and there are 10 different tracks and you yourself are running on 10 tracks. It's not physically possible. And you have to work at the speed of the light. I mean, the speed is the essence when it comes to the startups. Now, you might not have the requisite kind of skill set in those areas. You might be good in one or two, but it's very difficult to imagine uh, to be really expert and have that kind of a time bandwidth to really take care of all those 10, 15 different areas which are mm -hmm. so important and mm -hmm. to be done concurrently. Uh, so if you can get those co-founders who have a complementary skill set, could tremendously help. And, uh, you know, we spoke very briefly about startups succeeding and startups not succeeding and the general numbers that are thrown around are one out of nine, one out of 10 succeeds. So my question to you is, what are some of the basic mistakes a lot of startup entrepreneurs make? Yeah. Uh, so first and foremost, let's try to find out what succeeds and not succeed. Their definition succeeds from the investor's point of view Correct. is a different because he wants to make it unicorn. If he doesn't make a unicorn, he feels that has not succeeded. But even a $20 million, $50 million company is a successful company. We should not, you know, uh, because that perception that every one, uh, you know, nine companies out of 10 fails, uh, perhaps that needs to be little corrected, but uh, again, but the kind of the mistakes people typically uh, we have seen is, you know, they spend a lot of money upfront mm. before really validating where the customer needs that particular product and whether that, pro that problems need to be solved in a certain manner. Mm. So, that's where they, they, they spend a lot of time, a lot of money upfront. And then when the product comes to the market, the, the customer requirement is somewhere else and the product is at somewhere else. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, uh, and that by that time, a lot of time and money has gone. Mm -hmm. And that creates a problem. The, one of these, uh, you know, thing which we typically see that they, they create these products in isolation. They mm -hmm. need to create the product in sync with the customers. Mm. So that's where, you know, creating uh, the product in sync will always, you create, you show, you get, get the insights, you modify, then you create, then you show, then 
again that cycle you know that cycle sometimes is missing sometimes they get into they develop a product they feel that they are developing a product which is less differentiated mm-hmm. now less differentiated uh, you know that margin can be quickly covered unless you have sufficiently disru- differentiated product or mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. a disruptive product i mean uh, where you are offering almost like five times 10 times the efficiency mm-hmm. at you know three times lower the cost mm-hmm. uh, but many times you have seen that they go for a less differentiated and you know many times what we have seen is that whatever their assumptions are right at the start right when they are building the product even for two months three months or six months mm-hmm. the the average is the 60% of those assumptions would prove wrong mm. when you get to the market so you know get go out of your office uh, as go to the, your prospects or the prospective customers talk to them and in conjunction with them so there are these two parallel tracks one has to be a product development track and second has to be a customer development track and these do two tracks have to remain and run in sync fascinating so uh, shashi now time for two more questions for you mm-hmm. um my next question is on values mm-hmm. you know not only are you an investor and support so many startups but you've been recognized so many times at different fora across the whole country i want to ask you what are some of the core values you believe in so the uh, you know uh, the core values is uh, you know for me my parents and uh, you know those people really imbibed mm-hmm. that treat anyone beyond his role mm-hmm. primarily if you are able to treat anyone as a person rather than his current role mm-hmm. i mean that would be the foremost and the second would be the i think in the long run uh, integrity you know that's the most important thing because anything can be recovered integrity if it is lost uh you know people won't trust you uh, the employees won't trust you customers won't trust you so within the opportunity you know at the cost of integrity is a loss in entirety in all probability it's the worst idea so i think these are the two basic things i would say wonderful and my last question to you mm-hmm. and this is a question on failure mm-hmm. um i actually have a new book that was published in march on failure mm-hmm. i have often said that parents in south asia or india mm-hmm. don't teach children it's okay to fail mm-hmm. they're always taught class may first out <laughs> go to the head of the line and so on so for then that manifests itself in our behavior patterns mm-hmm. yet we fail we learn my question for you is what have been your learnings from some of your mistakes yeah uh, you are absolutely to the point ashutosh here i mean uh, you know we fear too much about the failure Mm. so there is a fear of failure and most of the times you know people prepare the strategies for not to fail but if you are preparing the strategies for not to fail then your ability to jump uh, and create an extraordinary uh, you know winner uh, gets limited mm. and i failed too in multiple number of times oh. and uh, you know the one of the things that really came handy was the family support but at the same time you know uh, if the as you fail and you create a mechanism to size up that failure and create a mechanism to respond to that failure then you can take the failure in your stride and then you don't tend to uh, fear the failure too much so as long as you know your fear of the failure is less than 
your hunger for success nobody can stop you i mean at no point of time then what happens is that you know you are not worrying about the competition or enemy or those kind of things that are you going to fail because now you have created the response mechanism how to respond i'm not saying react and one of those things that came really very handy to me you know is to create the your own mechanisms uh, of your response so one of the mechanisms was you know that came in fact from the book uh, you know and that was from the elrice and jack trout mm-hmm. so uh, you know uh, as long as you can hit the enemy on or the competition at its weakest point by your strongest force mm-hmm. you can hope to win a battle and i am saying that not every time i mean all the strategies in the world they talk about winning the war you know winning the war is the ultimate thing but there are mm-hmm. always small battles which are played in the, those wars even winning the war even winning the battle for mm-hmm. some time so uh, you know <laughs> i i coined my own uh, sort of a sentence out of mm-hmm. that and i said that you know winning a war is a choice mm-hmm. but losing a battle is not the option mm-hmm. when you are doing a startup so those are those kind of things fascinating fascinating and on that note of winning a war is a choice but winning a battle is not an option for a startup i think you know shashi thank you so much it's been such a privilege speaking to you thank you for so much of your knowledge that you have shared on startups and such amazing advice to startup entrepreneurs and potential startup entrepreneurs thank you very much and good luck uh, nice nice talking to you ashutosh and it's uh, your unique ability to bring best from speaker thank you thank you sir thank you for listening to the brand called you video cast and podcast a platform that brings you knowledge experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals you can also follow us on youtube facebook instagram and twitter just search for the brand called you